He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, May 14, 2022. What a show I have for you. Holland Hoskins. Remember her name. Lawyers around Colorado know her. She was on the cover of our Super Lawyers magazine, and she's had great success since then. I've been involved in some cases with Holland. You can Google Holland Hoskins and Craig Silverman, and you can read all about it. We talked about important things today. Go to our website to read about even more. But Roe v. Wade going bye-bye, that's a big deal to women, to men, to the troubadour Dave Gunders, and me. Our troubadour Dave Gunders has the perfect song once again. It's called Your Way Too, and it comes after our great discussion in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge with the one and only Holland Hoskins. Gosh, it's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and Way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw. LLC.com. Now back to the Craig Silverman Show. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. This is Holland. Holland, it's Craig. Thanks for doing this podcast. Absolutely. I want people to know how to find you, and it starts with spelling your name correctly. How is it done? My name is spelled H-O-L-L-Y-N-D, last name Hoskins, H-O-S-K-I-N-S, Holland Hoskins. And you are so famous now that you can just go by your first name. Isn't that right? HollandLaw.com is where people can find you. I don't know how famous I am, Craig, but absolutely. People can uh, just plug in Holland, H-O-L-L-Y-N-D Law, L-A-W.com, and they can find me. After this pickleball victory, come on. Who's more famous than you? I have to confess right away that I'm jealous. One, 
You seem to be living the life that I want to live. Fabulous cases, winning all the time, playing sports all over Denver, not missing a beat, and a wonderful home life. You've got it all. So I'm jealous of that. And then there's that media presence. I mean, you take a local Denver story and it becomes international. How do you do it? Well, that's very generous of you. And I really appreciate uh, those comments. Um, I, I have been really uh, lucky in the type of cases that have come my way. And the great clients that have trusted their lives in my hands. And that really is what inspires me and gives me the energy to not only be an advocate on their behalf or to litigate on their behalf, uh, but to go the extra mile. And a lot of these cases really deserve media attention. And as you know, Craig, you are an expert uh, in the media, you have been throughout your whole career as a prosecutor and now in private practice and radio shows, etc. You know how important it is to bring attention to a good cause. That's why I'm so jealous, because I have to say that in my wildest fantasy, to be pictured in my sports uniform, you know, maybe number 42, shooting a sweet jump shot. On the cover of Super Lawyers magazine, what was it? It was unbelievable. I got it in the mail. There it is. My friend, Holland Hoskins. What was the uniform? How did you get that cover? And uh, does it feel as good as I think it does? Well, it was quite an honor to be uh, highlighted in the Super Lawyers magazine and to be on the cover with the title of Comeback Drive. Uh, with me holding a football and the story that went into my life story as well as my successes in the courtroom and on the athletic field. I, I used to play for the Colorado Valkyries in 2000, which was the women's professional tackle football. And I did that while I was a public defender doing death penalty cases. So yes, it was quite an honor. Uh, more importantly, again, I was able to tell some of my clients' story uh, in that magazine and continue to highlight the injustices that are going on uh, in our community and, you know, based upon juveniles serving life without parole or uh, other medical malpractice uh, tragedies that I have been able to su successfully litigate and tell those clients' stories. All right, let's get back to sports and your fame. It's not that I'm jealous. I'm also proud of you because you're Denver Prep League, East High all the way, Hall of Fame, correct? That is correct. Both uh, I was lucky enough to be inducted into East High School's uh, Hall of Fame as an individual player, as the and as uh, a team, being the captain of the 1983 uh, Girls uh, State Championship team. It was the first time that a Denver Public School had won state championship and what in sport? Soccer. Soccer. In soccer. In soccer. Was that your so, best sport? That was my best sport. That's all I did growing up. 
uh, was play soccer, started out on a boys team in City Park when there were no girls teams, continued to play competitively. And um, unfortunately, that sport led to 22 knee surgeries, um, but it, it was worth it. Yeah, for the cover of the magazine and led to real football. I don't know how advisable that was. Did you wreck your knees doing that too? Well, that was, you know, the, the last straw of the knees that then led to um, two knee replacements. Uh, so now with the two knee replacements, I am really addicted to pickleball. And we're going to get to that. We are. All right. And we're going to get right. to a lot of stuff, but I heard you say that you were playing with the boys and then it had to stop because guess what? You're a woman and I happen to know you and I think you care about women's issues, so I'm not going to bury the lead. One of the reasons I wanted you on was, of course, your great pickleball victory, but I can bring it hard on Roe v. Wade. I've debated it probably more than anybody and in a public forum against Dan Kaplis. And he and his side are prevailing. And I am outraged and I'm fired up, but I'm not a woman. You are. Tell me how you are thinking about this. Obviously, uh, I think the country is in grave danger of losing not only our democracy, but our constitutional rights. Uh, I don't think that a just a woman should be outraged, and I'm glad that you are outraged about what is going on with uh, women's rights, a woman's right to privacy, a woman's right to health care, a woman's right to choose what occurs to her body. Uh, and more importantly for this conversation, if I have to stay in my lane, about the emotional abortion debate, where we appear to be headed is uh, based upon the uh, draft opinion that was leaked, we're headed to the criminalization of abortion which you were a longtime prosecutor, and I was a public defender for 12 years. Now imagine what is going to happen if or when they criminalize abortion. And that is a very scary thought. Uh, it, it will, can you imagine the public defender's office and district attorney's offices across this country uh, that lack the money, funding, and resources as it is? And now they are going to be, public defenders are going to be faced with representing women, um, young women, girls, uh, desperate women uh, in criminal courts because they attempted to get abortion. You're going to be representing uh, medical providers who assisted with uh, an abortion. You're talking about, is it going to be the criminalization of the abortion pill? Um, it's a really scary thought. And I don't think everyone has thought that through. They want to continue with this emotional debate as when uh, does a life begin. But these are critical important constitutional rights the right to privacy which is embedded in the constitution and it's incredibly 
upsetting to find out that in 2022, they are going to undo that. And what's really important, Craig, is that um, the abortion rights decision that is about to come down next month actually could put a slew of other civil rights in danger. And as a woman, as a human being, I think we all should be uh, outraged. I think we all should be gravely concerned, and I think we all need to act. I agree. Speaking of a right to privacy, it's not polite to ask a woman her age. I don't know if that's one of those conventions that that still apply, but I think you graduated East in 85? I graduated East in 1983. I have no problem saying 83, I have no problem uh, saying my age. I'm about to turn 57 years old. And, uh, hey, I'm proud of being able to live this long. And the only reason I bring it up is because Roe v. Wade came into existence in 1973. So I doubt you thought about it much when you were eight, especially since it was legal in Colorado way back in the day with John Love, a Republican, signing it in. When I was a little kid, but what I'm saying is when I went to law school, Roe v. Wade had just become the law. It was kind of controversial. By the time you went to law school, it was more settled. But the point I'm making by referencing your age, you never knew a time when abortion was illegal. I, you know, when I was interning for Dale Tooley, I was aware that he was prosecuting some kind of criminal abortion case. And it was real controversial. I I just, that's the only abortion prosecution I've ever heard of. And I'll tell you, it's problematic. If I was a prosecutor asked to enforce that kind of law, I wouldn't do it. But down in Oklahoma, they'll be itching to prosecute people. Public defenders already represent, what, 80% of all criminal defendants? And you factor in the poverty and the only women who are going to really be subject to this law, will be poor, etc. You're right, the public defenders will be uh, bearing the brunt of this. Tell everybody about your own public defender experience and how you predict the Colorado State Public Defender's Office will respond. And, and then maybe think about Oklahoma and how the public defenders there would respond. It, absolutely. Um, public service and representing individual, individual indigent individuals is incredibly important in our society. And I wanted to be a public defender and I had to, it was very competitive to get on when I was applying for the public defender's office. I got turned down a couple of times, but then I was hired and I worked for 12 years as a public defender doing death penalty work, representing uh, juveniles and all types of crimes. And it's a very difficult job. And right now, at, when I was a public defender, you're overworked. You have over 100 cases. You're not being paid well. It's very stressful. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like you as your job, um, but it was definitely rewarding. And I then became um, a member on the Public Defender Commission and actually was part of the group that selected the first woman uh, of the Colorado State Public Defender System 
um, which is Megan Ring. And I know in speaking with the public defenders, I still do pro bono work for them in consulting and going through medical records. They're overwhelmed. They're underfunded. They're overworked. They don't have the resources uh, and the sheer volume. And I know a lot of prosecutor prosecutions uh, offices are dealing with the same things. Now, when you start criminalizing not only abortion, think about criminalizing the medical providers uh, providing healthcare services, providing abortion services, they're going to be criminalized. And I think just within the last couple of hours, you've got the Texas Supreme Court um, just okayed the state child abuse inquiries into the families of transgender children. And I also understand that an Idaho bill uh, is also in process and it criminalizes medical uh, transgender youth treatment. And so when you're talking about all of these important emotional issues that we all may debate, when you're going to the extent that you are criminalizing something, uh, you're going to turn the world upside down. The constitutional uh, protections for all of us are going to be turned upside down. And the wealth gap will never be more on display because these women forced to bring a baby to term, it's because they did not have the money to go from Dallas to Colorado to get it done, whereas a rich white suburbanite can do it easily. And then they're going to have to bear the burden, and we all will, of these children who are not going to get the love that they need. It's just a tragedy on every level. Uh, but Let's let's just talk about the merits of it, because if somebody says that's human life from the moment of conception, it's it's entitled to be treated like a human being. You know, I always heard that argument. I reject it for a lot of reasons. But I thought if you really believe that, if you thought it was like a Holocaust or slavery or the metaphors you use, then you would really do some wild things to stop it. Because I would, to stop slavery or a holocaust. And maybe I underestimated the wild things they'd do, like, you know, support Donald Trump regardless. And January 6th, and the people they'll throw in with, uh, wow. So that's got me activated. Um, but what are your thoughts about people who take the position, hey, that's a human being just like you or me, and it's murder. You know, I could engage with you regarding um, the emotional aspect of these arguments, but as a lawyer, you know, I go and talk to people, um, and as a lawyer, it's critically important that it is a constitutional right of a woman to direct her health care to have it a was. fundamental right to privacy to protect um a pregnant person's freedom to have an abortion and right but it, it, but it was but it, that's going bye-bye so i understand and i hope not and we need to fight against it you know just today i was talking to one of my best friends father who uh, he and i are are good friends and he 
graduated medical school in 1952. He is 96 years old and has been an OBGYN. Uh, he didn't retire until he was 70. Uh, and then he went on for 15 years later and volunteered uh, in, with his OBGYN services. And he talked to me this morning about the back alley abortions. This decision is not going to end abortion. We all know about that. We see the pins with the hanger on it. But a lot of us don't really understand that because we didn't live it. And he talked to me about graduating medical school in 1952. And uh, I also have a friend who's an ER doctor around the same era. And they're like, this would be a medical uh, emergency. You don't understand that what back alley abortions are. You don't understand that women do and will do, you know, what they have to to terminate a pregnancy with hangers, with catheters, with pills that, you know, uh, will severely injure women. They end up in the hospital uh, bleeding, septic shock, infection, perforated organs. And these are young girls. These are young girls. And we're also talking about, you know, victims of rape, of incest. And you were 100% who this, the population that this is going to most affect is indigent and communities of color. Because frankly, the wealthy communities, the white communities, um, the, if you look at the statistics, it's even religious white women are able and have the means to get on a flight and to go to a state rather quickly butt in line and get an abortion, whereas women of color don't have an indigent uh, communities as a whole uh, that don't aren't as affluent. Um, they're the ones who are not able to get on the plane. They're not able to get in line. But as all of certain states around Colorado, uh, once these states uh, have no right to abortion, our abortion services in Colorado are overwhelmed already. You can't even get in to get an appointment is what I'm reading. Now you this the Supreme Court does this, there aren't going to be medical services. It's going to take three to four months to get in for an abortion, uh, which is something that everyone everyone is strongly, you know, hopes to right. mitigate. And give them an inch and they'll take a mile. They'll propose a nationwide ban, and they'll say that's okay. They will try to make inroads against in vitro fertilization. Look, a lot of couples, through the miracle of medicine, and God bless that elderly doctor you spoke with, the advances in medicine are astronomical. I think pretty soon they'll be able to scrape your cuticle and make a baby, but right now they've found ways to have a previously infertile couple, thanks to uh, a laboratory and Petri dishes, and I was never that good at science, but they store uh, the potential for a human being that can be implanted, and they store it in a facility. And you and I know from you being a public defender and me a prosecutor that we battle over common sense. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, just apply your common sense. Well, I'd say this, that if I was walking down the street 
and there was an infertility clinic, and I saw it was on fire, and I saw an elderly security guard coughing and gasping for air. Would I go grab a dozen Petri dishes, or would I try to save that security guard who was passing out? I'd save the security guard. That's my common sense. And uh, if he had a dog that was hurting, I'd probably get the dog first because they're alive. Those things are concepts. Yeah, when I debated Krista Kafer once about a zygote, and she said that's the worst to destroy a zygote because an embryo at least got to experience the love of its mother in the womb. And I'm like, wow. You know, um, it's hard to argue with that. And yet we're going to. Every election is going to be about this. Respond first about infertility clinics. I bet you know some couples who have benefited from that. Sure. I think I think we all have. Uh, and it's, again, when you were talking about um, overturning abortion rights and changing the right to privacy, that what are, what's the slippery slope? What are the slew of other civil rights in danger? And now you're talking about ending abortion and criminalization of abortion and that the court's attack on our rights won't stop at medical clinics. It's going to rip through courtrooms throughout the United States. And even if you, before you even get to in vitro fertilization clinics, and well, that is going to be illegal and criminal. Um, right now, it's my understanding that medication abortions now account for more than half of all abortions in the United States. And if you're going to uh, there's already Republican-led states that have reduced access to abortion pills. And then if abortion becomes illegal, this really means that the Simple Act, even before you get to the in vitro fertilization clinics, simple act of mailing an abortion pill to a person in a red state might constitute criminal behavior in the eyes of the law. Now, to your point, in vitro fertilization clinics, I don't have those statistics, but we all know somebody who's used that method to bring a life into this world, a life that is loved and that it, there is um, planned and wanted. And I, that's the slippery slope. Those clinics, according if abortion is illegal, uh, those are going to be illegal. You're going to lose access. All of, you know... The women and the couples out there who want desperately want children are not going to be allowed to use in vitro fertilization again if the Supreme Court takes this right of privacy and if abortion um, is made to be illegal. You know, and well, then again, there, there, there's strong legal reason for no in vitro fertilization because it wasn't mentioned by our founding fathers in the Constitution, don't you know? How do you feel about Alito's argument that, hey, no mention of abortion here, we can't deal with it? Seems like they really couldn't even deal with the issue of women back in the day. You know, I could see a lot of things, Craig, uh, about Alito's draft opinion. Um, please please do. And, and, Let this. You can cuss if you want to. That's all, you know, but again, I'm trying to stay in my lane and but Alito's draft opinion is is very concerning. Um, and if you really read into uh, parts of his opinion, 
Um, he his draft denies the due that the due process clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, obviously provides a fundamental right to privacy that protects a pregnant uh, person's freedom to have an abortion. But then he also explicitly criticizes the 2003's Lawrence versus Texas. And this is uh, a case that prevented states from criminalizing same-sex intimacy. And he also criticizes the 2015 opinion, which legalized same-sex marriage. And then you got to wonder, okay, so is this now the basis for abortion becoming illegal? Are they now going to have same-sex intimacy? Is that going to be illegal and criminalized? And then same-sex marriage, are they going to uh, take that back and make that illegal. Oh, wait a oh. second. We know Alito in the draft opinion said, hey, don't worry about any of that. And we can trust the guy, right? He would never lie to us. Right. Just like we could trust the uh, Supreme Court justices in their confirmation hearings when they said that um, it Roe v. Wade is long-standing precedent. It's important. It's already been determined right. that the right Super to privacy— Right, precedent, stare decisis, well settled. But all those people who also promised us, hey, we don't want to prosecute women, they're the victims, and they infantilize them, you know. Oh, they don't know what they're doing, and— those poor pregnant women, they, their thought process is too confused to ever prosecute them. Well, now a lot of the Bible Belt states are saying, hey, we're going to prosecute the women. I want to hear if the, there will be a strong condemnation of that. I don't think so. What about you? Uh, I Yeah, there will be a strong condemnation. There already has been. Uh, the majority I mean, of- but by pro-lifers, pro-lifers who used to say, we never want to do anything to the women. Well, there are people in the pro-life side who say, no, don't go that far, Oklahoma. Don't do that, Arkansas, Missouri. I don't know. You- if they oh. start putting women in jail, I just want to see how far they'll go. And, and again- I think they'll go as far as as possible. Give them an inch, they'll take a mile, just like you're talking about. It, it's obviously, um, again, our democracy, our constitutional rights are in serious danger. And there are a number of people that are pro-life, and I hope we're talking to some of them. And I have friends who are pro-life, and even the doctor that I was talking to you about, 96, he is a white um, conservative Republican. Uh, he never performed any abortions, um, believes he's, he's uh, pro-life, but understood as being an OBGYN that um, 100% there, a woman has to have uh, a fundamental right to privacy and to direct her health care and to have an abortion, which is the same of birth control. And if you're talking about how this is going to spin out of control is birth control, it's already sometimes regulated. Um, but yes, everyone should be outraged if this becomes criminalized, if women start being arrested. I don't know about you. Craig, but I know I will be on the list um, 
and do as much as I can to provide pro bono services for women that are being prosecuted for abortion. And all of the lawyers out there should do the same. And people who are pro-life, you really need to, you know, we all need to sit down and have a conversation about, you know, both opinions can um, live together, pro-choice and pro-life. But that is separate and distinct from our own constitutional rights, right to privacy, right to uh, have an abortion, right to direct my health care. Right to um, bodily autonomy. And as I said in the Frank Rodriguez case, dis- discussing the disgusting things Rodriguez did, I said, I'm not just talking to you women on the jury. Think about this, man. Think about somebody controlling your body. Because that's what abortion comes down to, right, Holland? I mean, doesn't it feel like a bunch of old men controlling women's bodies? It just doesn't seem right. Oh, 100%. 100%. If the male gender had the ability to reproduce and to have menstrual cycles once a month and to have to go to a doctor to, to get a prescription for birth control and have to be responsible for um, getting pregnant and bearing a child going through pregnancy. Uh, If the male gender got pregnant from being raped and then being forced to carry that child, uh, be uh, molested uh, and then get pregnant and have to raise that child. Um, it would be different. Everything would be different. You, 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 it, that's very clear um, that this is an inequity. It's not an equal protection. Women are thought of lessers. Women are thought of as vessels for um, a child that is being born into this world, whereas um, we're not caring, and we could go on and on, we're not caring for the children that are born. As soon as the child's born, um, you know, a lot, there's not a lot of legislation on, you know, uh, maternity leave, paternity leave, um, support for children for funding for children, funding for families who can't afford children. You know, there's, there's the um, formula shortage and even women can't afford the diapers and the formula. And so along with this uh, constitutional decision that is going to, you know, criminalize abortion, uh, do they have a whole other bill that is going to fund? Are they going to give the women that they're forcing to carry that pregnancy? Are they going to pay her uh, expenses so that if she has a, you know, she can't work? Um, if she has a high-risk pregnancy and she needs bed rest, if she can't care for her other children. Um, See, that's no. what you're thinking about. But I'll tell you what conservative Republicans are thinking about. They're listening to Steve Bannon's podcast, who has elevated a right-wing uh, African-American woman named Kathy Barnett, who says credibly that she was born to a 12-year-old who was raped. She's uh, made success in her life, although she's bigoted in some regards. That's the accusation against her. But 
Her main selling point is, A, she's conservative, and she says, look at me. My mama had me after she was raped at age 12, and I'm doing great, and thank God I'm alive. And they dig that, and I kind of dig it too, because that was her mama's choice, I hope. But the bottom line is this, that most kids under those circumstances are not going to turn out well. And uh, I saw that a lot as a prosecutor, but you ask what's going on, you're talking about one thing, they're talking about Kathy Barnett, next U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. I don't think she'll win, but she might win the primary now. I couldn't agree with you more. These, uh, I, I don't fully know the Kathy Barnett uh, from U.S. Senate story. I've seen some news clips uh, I grew up in a interracial family, uh, very aware of racial issues, and on the surface, it sure appears that the um, far right, it, it, they found someone that they could use and uh, for those purposes, and it, it's, it's unfortunate. But you know what's fortunate? It shows me what direction to go next in this interview, because we will get to your great work on behalf of the mayor of Pickleball. But this is the episode called Holland Hoskins. And you brought up your upbringing, which was not typical in a way, maybe, but it wasn't my upbringing, although we both grew up in Denver, going to Denver public schools. But tell everybody about your upbringing and how you think it has shaped your life. Absolutely. My mother um, had myself and my brother and um, came to Denver and married. Um, actually came met, to Denver from what? Came to Denver from Salt Lake City uh, when um, the relationship with my biological father broke up. And so she came, a single mother, here to Denver, Colorado, when I was uh, not quite two years old. And my mother um, went to Unitarian Church up on Hampton, and she met my, who I call my father, he is my stepfather, Paul Hoskins. Um, he's African-American. He had three young children, and they met and ultimately married. And they got married in 1967, and they got married prior to the decision of a loving decision that legalized interracial marriage um, all throughout the country. Can and I show off a little? I can say anti-miscegenation. That was the law. Anti-miscegenation meant you can't marry outside your race. Right. And Loving versus Virginia, um, finally, that's 1967. Well, they got married prior to that. And so it was kind of like a Brady Bunch with uh, my myself and my brother, my mom's kids, and then my stepfather's three kids, and then they had one child together. And, and, so, and that's because Colorado was more progressive, just like on abortion, and we never had those anti-miscegenation laws. Or if we did, it had to be way long ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we grew up here, right, in Denver, grew up in Park Hill. And from that experience, I mean, it was a great experience for myself, um, but it also opened my eyes, you know, firsthand. My father 
My stepfather was from the south side of Chicago. He understood police brutality, um, racism, discrimination. And uh, I witnessed it through, you know, growing up, especially interracial. A couple in the late 60s, you, everyone, you know, discriminated against you. A lot of the uh, uh, communities of color were not happy. Uh, The white communities were not happy. And so you saw a lot of discrimination. But more importantly, as I became um, even a young child going into a candy store with all, you know, the my five siblings, there's the six of us. And you, you know, just like pile into the candy stores, the pharmacies, the department stores, grocery stores. And my siblings, I witnessed as a young child not knowing what it was, you, they're looked at differently. They were treated differently. They were followed um, by the store personnel in the stores. Whereas me, you know, I probably was, you know, the stickiest fingered kid of all of us. And um, I that never happened to me. Only when I was with my sibling. But if, you know, you get to the candy store, you all go your own directions. And uh, I I witnessed that firsthand, and it really gave me uh, the background and experience that a lot of people don't know. And a lot of us uh, white folk, we are not used to being a minority. And when I visited my stepfather um, as a young child in the south side of Chicago, where I, I had to ask, like, are white people not allowed here? The whole community was black. But... We still, I still didn't experience it because a lot of communities of color then have to turn on the TV and it's nobody like them. Thank God that's changing. Uh, But it was a really important lesson and that actually led me to fighting for racial inequality and equal rights and becoming a public defender because of how people are treated differently and the discrimination that goes on. And we all still want to deny it. It's changed. We had a black president, um, but it's different. Uh, even, you know, it's different. And there's this horrible discrimination that still occurs. Back in my heyday in the DA's office, we had a black district attorney named Norm Early. May he rest in peace. And your dad was involved in city government. There was a mayor who imagined a great city named Federico Pena. And didn't your dad get involved in all that? Absolutely. Uh, My father was, uh, my father is an incredibly bright man and very personable. And Federico Pena, when he became mayor, he appointed my father to run, um, to be in his cabinet. And my dad was in charge of deputy in charge of general services, which is Red Rocks, McNichols, Mile High, things like that. And then, um, so he worked with Federico Pena, and then Norm Early was over in the district attorney's office, and my father campaigned for Norm Early, and I met him at that time uh, when he was DA and he was running for mayor. Isn't that something? Because Dale Tooley ran against Federico Pena, and I was a young deputy when that was going on, and then Norm's raised against Wellington Webb. That was something else. But so was episode 71 of my podcast. This, what is it, 96, will be titled Holland Hoskins. Episode 71 was titled 
Federico Pena because he wrote a great book and he was nice enough to give me the better part of two hours, just like you are doing. It's so interesting to talk to you. And um, Denver City Politics, you grew up in the heart of it with your dad involved. What do you make of it then, now? How is Denver doing? Well, that's a loaded question, uh, Craig. Um, obviously, yes, I, I wasn't involved personally, but uh, my mother uh, was a big uh, civil rights activist. She actually received, uh, um, I think it was, I can't remember which mayor, but it's a Joan Hoskins uh, day uh, that she received based upon her work at the city attorney's domestic violence unit. She was not um, a lawyer, but an advocate um, who started battered women's shelters and, I mean, helped in starting battered women's shelters in the 70s and continued that work. Um, and so I would follow her around. I would go to the city attorney's office in the domestic violence unit. I would follow my father around and both were, you know, we had a red VW bus and would go to the peace rallies and, the you know, now women's rights um, and, you know, went, went to uh, the mayor's office with my father when he worked there and went to campaigns. And it's really important for all of us, no matter what side of the aisle you are, to, uh, to get involved. Um, don't get involved in the big lie. Uh, truth still matters. Science still matters. But get involved with candidates for what you believe in. Um, and now, uh, sure, Denver is, is what? It's the fifth most expensive state or county to live in. So look how far we um, have come. Look how fast we have grown uh, and uh, how many people have moved here, our population. And I think our government um, in Denver is a little behind and uh, so, so why don't you run for mayor? Yes, yes, I, I would run for mayor, not. Um, I'm happy to support a very good qualified candidate um, for the next election. I found one. It's you, a Denver native, <laughs> still living in Denver. I got to get back to this BW bus because I watched King Richard. In fact, I watched it during the Academy Awards, and then I came back to see what Will Smith had done. But you're a tennis superstar, among other things. Not tennis, but pickleball. Um, right, but King Richard, did you watch that? Of course. And, and was really, it like that, the VW bus? It, it actually was, you know, not like King Richard. They're in comp, you know, their circumstances. But yes, we had a old, um, I think it was a 60s red VW bus. So there's six of us. We, we've got photos. Uh, we lived on 25th and Birch. And, um, you know, my, my stepfather's brother moved here from Chicago and he lived with us for a little bit uh, with his wife and young baby. And uh, it, it was just the good times. And my we had tie-dye shirts, um, peace signs, peace on the bus, uh, went to all kinds of rallies and, you know, and, and protests. And it was, it was a good life. 
Did everybody see it coming? There comes the Hoskins bus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you got to know, like, you've got a bus full of uh, interracial uh, kids, and uh, nobody knew what to make of it. Um, Nobody, everyone would go, well, who, is this uh, some group? You know, is this a uh, juvenile detention facility van? no, um, but it was true. You know, we we drove to the south side of uh, Chicago in the early 70s. And I think we stopped in I I don't know if it was Nebraska or where, um, but it was very white. And we all got out and went into the restaurant and they wouldn't serve us. And uh, we had to sit there and sit there. No waiter was going to come over to the table uh, with the uh, interracial family. And so um, in Park Hill, luckily, uh, we were very loved and supported by the Park Hill community. And that is the great thing about Denver, about Park Hill. Um, East High School was fabulous. It was naturally diverse. And of course, junior high, uh, I don't know about you, Craig, during the busing era, um, but. I was there at the start of the busing era. Hill Junior High. We were the experimental class just when I hit seventh grade. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we went through that experiment, then you came along. But it's, it's a very tough topic, interracial marriage, right? And I know a little about it, too. And I never really talked about it on the radio because it's a fraught subject, but I've never talked to you about it before. And I think it's instructive uh, to get your perspective, because the looks you got, what it it wasn't just coming one way from white people. I bet from black people too. I would suspect your mom, maybe some women were hostile that she was taking a black man away. Did that happen? Absolutely, absolutely. You got to think about the time. I said we just talked about Loving versus Virginia. 1967 landmark civil rights case that struck down state laws banning interracial marriages. Well, my parents got married in 1967. And yes, we got, we experienced hostility from black communities, from communities of color, from white communities. Um, For sure, my mother's um, family disinherited her when she married my stepfather. And so I never met um, her father or my grandfather and his wife. And I didn't meet my uh, her two twin brothers who were both lawyers until a lot until I was a lot older. And um, were they from Utah? No, they were not. No, they were not. Uh, my mother's father was in the military and traveled a lot. Huh. And uh, how yeah. tragic! And then another famous person who was unalterably opposed to intermarriage was Muhammad Ali. I don't know if you've ever read up on that. No, I haven't. But um, it, yeah, it's still controversial. It um, is, and and I because we're friends, I sent you a picture that I treasured that my beloved Uncle Mel Silverman painted, and to me. Because I always ask people over at my house, what do you think this shows? And they usually don't know. But to me, when you figure out it was painted in 1966, 
that it was about this battle over anti-miscegenation laws, and it's a lily-white woman marrying a, an obviously African-American man, and there are musicians behind them, but they're kind of shying away, like they don't know if they want to celebrate, be happy, be sad, look at this, not look at it. I love that painting because of all the questions it raises. Yes, absolutely. I, I like that piece, and I'm glad you sent that to me. And um, the Loving versus Virginia case is, is landmark case, case is very important. And Craig, as you know, um, I am uh, married to a woman, and with the whole right to privacy, you wonder, you know, what's the impact going to be on? Uh, is that going to be reversed? The um, Obergefell seems... versus Hodges. Right, know? Obergefell yeah. is is no sturdier than Roe v. Wade, and uh, yes, I've met your. Uh, spouse and she's magnificent and uh congratulations and thank god you can live the life that you want to live that's what america's about it should be freedom as long as you're not hurting anybody else and you're not hurting anybody as far as i can tell you're helping people and we're going to get to the pickleball story but before we leave roe v wade and its consequences and whatever else you want to say about gay marriage or otherwise it's uh what I'm outraged, but what can we do? Should I boycott going to Oklahoma? That's no big deal. I don't go there often. But should we stay away from states that won't give women reproductive choice? You know, I, I don't know uh, what we do except tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. I'm, I'm going to go down to the Capitol. I believe that there is a planned parenthood march and try to do what I can. Uh, I donate money to those sources. Um, you know, and, and I'll give you a story that uh, I've never told publicly, but my mother, um, who passed away when she was 70, um, her mother passed away when she was 10 from cancer. And so she was raised by her father who was in the military and they traveled quite a bit and they were in Germany and my mom was 17 and she ended up getting pregnant. And you can imagine back then, um, even if you are single and pregnant, uh, she had to save up and get this, you know, $10 ring to make it look like she was pregnant. But her father kicked her out and she ended up in Texas. Uh, at she, needed, she needed to make it look like she was married. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And there, of course, uh, she's in Germany um, because he's in the military, kicks her out. She went to Texas where her twin brother was in the military and she went to the Methodist Mission Home, which was uh, went by a different name at the time. But it was a, a home for uh, unwed uh, pregnant uh, women. And my mother stayed there and gave birth to the child and she gave that child up for a uh, for excuse me up for adoption um and when she told me this when i was a lot older it, it was so painful for her and she's glad she made that decision uh for that child uh 
And but she really instilled in me that um, she didn't have many options and how important it was. You know, that was her personal decision that she did to stay in an unwed mother's home, um, give birth to the child and the child is immediately taken from you to adoption. And luckily she had that resource, but she's the one who really, really talked to me at a young age about women's rights and about the right to choose, about the right to uh, direct your health care, about the constitutional right to have an abortion. Um, and that wasn't going to be her choice, but she was so adamant that we all have to fight for all women's choices to do that. Um, and uh, that's really important. And you need to think about, like, if it's not the choice for you, and if you have, you know, pro-life beliefs, but you really have to think, are you really going to run, you know, just run over people's constitutional rights and ban people from their constitutional rights? Uh, we're going down a very dangerous, slippery slope, and I hope we all catch our breath and fight and come together to realize criminalizing abortion is the absolute wrong answer. Wow. What an incredibly personal story. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, a lot of men have personal stories that they don't talk about because, one, it involves another person, a woman who really gets to make the decision. Men don't, and I think that's fair because it's not our body. But a lot of men will be affected if they have a dalliance, woman gets pregnant even though they thought they were using birth control, then even though they barely know the person or maybe they're very young like your mother was, then a baby's going to be born and the financial consequences and maybe that man will never meet the woman of his dreams because unlike your family, you know, it's, a, it's not that easy meeting when you have kids. You know what I'm saying? It's going to impact a lot of male lives too. And I love that you opened up about being gay and being married and being happy. And I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you always talk about it so openly or is this a new freedom? And damn it, you're not going to give it up and you're going to say it loud and say it proud. I don't blame you. Why should it have to ever be hidden? Sure. And I appreciate that, Craig. Um, before I go into that, just, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I was never um, very open about it because we couldn't be. There was, you know, extreme uh, discrimination, um, you know, disappointment. Uh, and there, even though things have changed today, there still is discrimination and uh, disappointment, et cetera. Wait, but, the, the dis I get it, discrimination, job-wise, the outside world, but disappointment from people who know you? Is that what you're talking about? Not me personally, no. But sure, uh, you know, the gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual community has always had to deal with, like, if they come out to their friends or their parents, uh, their parents are going to be disappointed. Uh, you know, it's a burden that they have a gay child, a gay friend, uh, a gay niece, nephew, etc. in the employment, um, you know, growing up 
in my era, if you came out, you know, with personal people, you knew it was fine. But to be public about it and to talk about it, you know, with clients, et cetera, it, it definitely was a hardship with definitely discrimination. Um, and it changed things with some people. Uh, me, I, um, it's not, I am you know, gay, lesbian, um, but it's not who I am. And I, meaning that I'm Holland and I've always had a lot of friends. I've always pretty much gotten along with people and I'm not a label. And all of the LGBTQ community are not labels. They're not like, oh, that's transgender or gay or bisexual. Um, We're people just like all of the straight community. And um, and people of color that have always, you know, same thing that they come into a room and it's it's the black woman, it's the black man, um, Mexican man. It's we're all individuals and we want to be seen as individuals. But absolutely, we want to be proud of who we are. And I certainly am. And I'm certainly happy that I uh, had the legal right to marry uh, the love of my life and my spouse. Uh, a woman, and we have a great life, and we give back to this community. I know you do, and I like living in a society like that, but it's relatively been a a modern phenomenon that people can live the way they want to, and, and I think that's beautiful. And your community, it's a perfect transition to the fact that you surround yourself in a number of different ways with community. By that, I mean the pickleball community. I know you're a golfer. You're in a golf league. You're part of so many communities. And before we get into all these uh, connections you have to this realm, that realm, a lot of sports connections, a lot of legal connections, why is community so important to you? Community is so important to me uh, based upon my upbringing Uh, in Park Hill uh, when we faced a lot of um, trials, tribulations, uh, you know, uh, conflict, uh, growing up in an interracial family. And the fact that, uh, you know, we had to, uh, our family was our community, our extended family was our community. And then the Park Hill community, which was uh, their, you know, interracial, uh, supportive, and the diversity was so awesome. You know, next door you had a Spanish-speaking family. Across the street, you know, you had an all-African-American family, Asian family, um, interracial family, and we all looked out for each other in Park Hill. And going to Park Hill Elementary, I even remember our mascot, the Park Hill Panthers, and being so proud of taking care of each other. And so that is community. And that and, and that, feeling, was, that was named after the Black Panthers, right? At the time, no, I'm just uh, kidding. Hey, we we may have had a Black Panther party. You never know. Um, I, I know that area. I went to Park Hill to play golf every Sunday morning of my youth when you were not even born, but uh, I love Park Hill, and you got Chauncey Billups, too, a little later. Absolutely. 
Chauncey is awesome. And so regardless, so having that experience, I think community is really important. And then even no matter what your community is, when I was a public defender, we were a community because again we were burnt out we were overwhelmed you know public opinion was against us and underfunded overworked and so we were a community and, and no matter where you are or what your community is whether it's the sports community of soccer growing up and now it's the pickleball community um but it's it, it's the larger community too meaning you know the homeless situation it means that indigent people and defendants you know that need my help pro bono in the criminal court. It's, um, you know, um, women's homeless shelters, like the, the gathering place, the day place. Those are parts, these are individuals in our community, and I think we all should embrace it um, and embrace each other and, you know, reach across the aisle, kumbaya, but you got to give back to your community and be a part of a community. You've got so many communities. Before we leave the subject of... Uh... Uh, gay rights and black pride and all of that, you're the perfect test case. Who do you think suffers more discrimination? You as a gay person or one of your black siblings? You know, that's a very hot topic. And uh, I'm trying to remember right now this joke, what's the difference between being black and gay? You know what the answer is? No. If you're uh black you don't have to tell your mother um so it's it's you know i think and think of me as a jewish person because i you know anti-semitism is out there and then god knows the blacks and gays and jews we can have our own discrimination but one thing that i've learned is if they're coming after the gay people look out if you're jewish or black and it applies to the same way. If they're coming after black people, look out. If they're coming after Jewish people, look out. Am I right? 100%. And of course, you know, the Holocaust, of course, you, you read where, you know, the gay lesbian community had triangles and were, you know, also just, you know, but it, listen, I, I grew up um, with a black father and black siblings watching Roots uh, it's sad that that was my, you know, crying at night watching the episode of Roots. But um, Africans, you know, were kidnapped and brought over by ship and enslaved and beaten and hung and lynched um, and completely discriminated there. Houses burned down. Um, you know, you've got the Jim Crow era, the 13th Amendment, incarcerated at a huge population. So I would never go, oh, you know, I being gay is the same as that. And I think every minority probably has, you know, um, you can't compare. Right. Um, You can't compare the Holocaust with the Jews. um, You you cannot compare. For sure. And you can say, well, that was back in the day, but not really. George Floyd, one, it wasn't that he was getting Chauvin's boot on his neck because, or his knee on his neck because he was gay. It was because he was black. And the startling thing, still not talked about enough, that three cops were right there and watched that, even though people were saying do something. 
I mean, what does that say about the police? That was the saddest thing in the world. Well, what does it say not only about the police, but as the community? And if you think that was back in the day, you know that a lot of these movements um, have a, it's a lot louder than an undertone of racism and white nationalism. And it's the same with abortion rights as it goes to misogyny and women are second-class citizens. And, you know, the the nonstop police brutality uh, concerning not only men of color, but the communities of color is rampant. We can't get back to mandatory arrests and our criminal justice system, but let's tout your horn about a case you just handled. And I know you did it successfully. You know how I judge you as success on this case? How's that? Your client is thrilled with you, and so is your community. And so what better reward is that, especially for a job you took on pro bono? Tell everybody about Pickleball, and this comes with a warning, ladies and gentlemen, that she will proselytize about pickleball, and she will try to get you to play. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but as I observe to your spouse and then to you, there comes a certain age and level of success, and maybe I'm getting close, but you are there. When senior lawyer's attention turns to pickleball and just taking on cases and causes that they really believe in, And I believe this satisfied both of your desires. Am I right? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Of course, my number one priority, I hope, uh, always remains is that, you know, it's all about the client. What's best for the client? What does the client want? And in this particular case, uh, the mayor of Pickleball, Arsene Gounet, uh, he is from Turkey, and he's been here for quite a while. He still has a heavy Turkish accent. And he is a pickleball aficionado, and he was known as the mayor of pickleball because he volunteered at the Central Park Rec Center um, every day. And the pickleball community is um, – obviously, those of you who don't know what pickleball is, it's a racket paddle sport. It's basically created combining elements of several other racket sports, whether it's, you know, table tennis uh, and tennis, obviously, or badminton. But uh, it's two or four players that use um, paddles to hit more of a wiffle ball, kind of like doubles tennis. But it's the fastest growing sport in America. This month is National Pickleball Month. Washington State has designated pickleball as its state sport. But yes, I, along with the many, are completely addicted. Uh, My spouse and I, we play competitive pickleball tournaments across the country. We went to nationals last November. We qualified at regionals at Indian Wells. And next week, we are going to Flushing in two weeks, excuse me, we're going to Flushing Meadows, the Billie Jean King Center for a huge tournament in New York. Oh my God, once again, I'm jealous. Your competitiveness shines through. I was talking with Norm early about that. He said he tried to hire competitive people. He liked people who played sports. Don't you think that's a great asset for a trial lawyer? I really do. Uh, not only just competitive sports, but, you know, for any office environment, I think people who play team sports 
for the, I think a trial lawyer can be an individual sport, you know. Um, but if you're going to be a team worker, good with your teammates, et cetera, it's good to have played, have that competitive nature, but also have played team sports so you understand, like, it's not all about you. It's about the team and uh, playing together and um, collaborating. Um, and so I think competitive sports are excellent. Now, uh, do you have to play two-on-two, or can you play one-on-one pickleball? No, pickleball, they have singles. You can play singles. And if you understand what's pickleball, it, it can be played at all kinds of levels, right? You know, for a while, everyone's like, oh, that's an old-person sport because they see it at the Y or their parents playing. But you you could be 90 and play. You could go and take your family and play. You could drink a beer and play. And then you can play very competitively. There is a professional league. There are professional tournaments. I'm telling you, it will be an Olympic sport. Um, I'm, and I'm telling you, my all-time favorite sports, and I played them all, was probably playing two-on-two basketball. I just like that. A lot of scoring, a lot of rebounding, a lot of fast-paced action. Is that what paddleball or pickleball is like? It is. It really is. It's very fast. It's a smaller court. It's a wiffle ball. It's a hard paddle. So it goes very quickly. Uh, and, it, and it's exciting. Um, and unfortunately, due to the popularity and being the fastest growing sport, um, there has been tension between the Denver Parks and Recreation uh, department here in Denver with the pickleball community because it's grown so fast and young people, old people, uh, all kinds of people want the resources. They want the courts. They want the time to play. And Denver Parks and Rec have, haven't been able to keep up and neither have the Parks and Rec's communities around the nation. They're like, wow, it's, you know, I play at Gates Tennis Center. We've now converted, uh, I think they're up to almost 10 tennis courts are now full-time pickleball. You can put four pickleball courts on one tennis court. Um, but that's kind of what that tension is kind what led uh, the mayor of Pickleball, Arsalan Gounet, being um, arrested on felony criminal mischief charges. Uh, the complaint was made by Denver Parks and Rec for what uh, Arsalan Gounet, who he was acting with uh, as a volunteer for the rec center and thought he was doing what they wanted and uh, grabbed a black sharpie and refreshed uh, previous Black Sharpie X's on the gym floor at Central Park Rec Center to designate where um, these little yellow uh, pickleball lines go throughout the gym. Uh, and rather than sit down with uh, Arsalan Gounet, the uh, Denver Parks and Recs just put up a sign, canceled all pickleball program, called the Denver police, and uh, issued an arrest warrant for felony criminal mischief and claimed $10,000 in damages. Oh, boy. And you know what? We see this kind of crap with some regularity because our jobs depend on an action, a reaction, an overreaction, a grotesque overreaction. Somebody should have calmed this down. And to have this 71-year-old arrested, it was outrageous. They could have handled it with the summons. And yet it caused him to meet you because you're tied into the pickleball community. Next thing he knows, he has a lawyer who makes it an international sensation. How do you do it, Holland Hoskins? 
Well, Craig, I, that is my MO is the, uh, if needed, uh, first, I desperately tried to send emails to Denver Parks and Rec and calls to, you know, to them and calls to the Denver Police Department and District Attorney's Office saying, hey, let's all sit down. This is a misunderstanding. Mr. Gonet apologizes. Let's resolve this. He'll pay any damage. And they all went ignored. And they simply told him, turn him in. He's going to go to jail. So at that point, I was, uh, I went to the Central Park gym. I couldn't even see the marks. That's how small they were. So I uh, drummed up the media. And yes, this uh, hit international, uh, made, garnered international attention. I was on uh, Canada, um, the BBC radio show out of NPR. It made the Washington Post and there was like 2,000 commenters. It made the Washington Post opinion op-ed on a Sunday. And the op-ed read, um, you know, if Trump, uh, Will Smith, and Justice Thomas had used the black Sharpie, they would have gotten in trouble. Um, so, it, and of course, it was on every TV show. Uh, I even did uh, two radio shows with, uh, you know, KNUS uh, 710. Stefan Tubbs and, and, you know, I, I do not align with their politics, but it didn't matter with the mayor of Pickleball. Everyone aligned with the mayor of Pickleball, uh, the Libertarian Magazine, uh, NPR, Washington Post and, you know, 710. Uh, everybody aligned because uh, the mayor of Pickleball is known to be the nicest guy. There was no criminal intent. He was a volunteer trying to help and he got arrested uh, for felony criminal mischief and spent 10 hours in jail. And now we just resolved it, but he has to pay $5,000. So, But you got go. that covered too in the new wave of lawyering that involves GoFundMe pages. It- I, I did. This just, we reached the deal on Wednesday. So we have a GoFundMe up. I'm not just to be clear, all of my fees, legal fees and services all donated free, but the GoFundMe went to pay this $5,000 to the city of Denver, even though, you know, I had estimates that it could be removed by a magic eraser. Um, and we teamed up with two great pros, Gizmo, um, and who gives back to the community. So then the rest will be donated to charity. And he actually goes into, um, he has an amazing story, was shot four times, um, had enough a rough upbringing. He now is a motivational speaker. Now, who is and this? His name is Gizmo, G-I-Z-M-O. Well, Gizmo. I'll never um, forget that. It wasn't that yeah. the, the mechanical bunny at Cloverleaf Dog Track. Here comes Gizmo. I there think so. Go. Instead yeah. of Rus- Rusty was in Mile High. Maybe it was yeah. Wismo, but that's pretty close enough. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, I... Yeah. You're not going to forget the name, Gizmo. And he got shot four times. I take it he survived, and he's good at pickleball. He's a professional. He's um, a black professional pickleball player, motivational speaker. Um, but he walks the walk with his nonprofit. He actually um, takes uh, pickleball nets and paddles and balls and goes into juvenile detention facilities, donates them, teaches them the game, goes to uh, underserved communities, kids at risk, and teaches them pickleball, donates those things to try to, you know, uh, get them out of trouble. He goes to uh, the young at heart communities, you know, the seniors. See, that, now you're proselytizing. 
<laughs> you are. I mean, let, let's talk about the broader lessons of the Mayor of Pickleball story. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. What about uh, the authoritarian personalities among us? The kind of people who stick with Trump because they like that crap. They're among us, and that's the kind of person who made this an arrest of your guy. They had a little power, and they went nuts with it. I've seen that with starters at golf courses and uh, clerks, even security guards. When you try to go to a, into a courthouse, you've been going in for four decades, and they want to undress you. Maybe it's me, but do you know what I'm saying? Aren't there a lot of authoritarian personalities out there? Yeah, I think a lot of them are white in our black robes and on the Supreme Court right now, trying to be authoritarian and tell women what to do with their bodies. Nice. I was going to ask if they were attracted to certain jobs, but uh, I wasn't thinking that high up, but I should have been. But you know what I mean? It's like fake cops and just real cops. Some people who have any level of authority, they can abuse it. Absolutely. And that's the problem with unchecked authority. And that's why it's very important, you know, like the criminal justice system, um, like uh, the Supreme Court, like ours, like our school system, like our police departments, uh, you know, and the medical system, which comes authority and power comes, you know, misuse. And unfortunately, this case, because it, it wasn't hard to blow it up to international news because it was people are like, what? Um, and yes, Denver Parks and Rec, they overstepped uh, with the authority. And uh, not only did they just call the police, um, but when I reached out to them, they didn't want to sit down. It could have been a 10 minute conversation. Sit down with Arsene Gounet, the mayor of Pickleball and go, what are you doing with a magic marker, Sharpie? Tell us what happened. Instead, it was, nope, this, they didn't even really understand pickleball. So they just want criminal complaint. Uh, and they refused to meet with Arslan. They refused to meet with me. They demanded an arrest warrant with a no bond hold and to charge him with $10,000 in damaged criminal mischief. So, yeah, we but, wasted a lot you got of tax case. Money. Yeah, you, no doubt. It's a big waste. Do you think that uh, race had anything to do with it, either with him being arrested? He struck me as a white guy, but he talks with an accent. You tell me he's from Turkey. Uh, maybe race had nothing to do with it, or maybe you got the case dismissed because he wasn't a black guy. Have you thought about that? Was there any factor of that here or... That's just well, a different case. Well, he does have a thick um, Turkish accent, but I do not think um, the decisions from Denver Parks and Rec or, you know, the arrest or the charging had anything to do with his race. And yes, Craig, it did not. Um, I did not miss, uh, you know, the irony about uh possible you know benefiting from white privilege that something like this um that he's an amazing yes white 71 year old lives in the community was an engineer for lasik pickles uh and that it garnered international attention him being arrested in 10 hours um as compared you know and so white privilege was there i believe 
it, you can't. Right. And maybe you, you, you maybe, can't you can't overlook that. Maybe seven ten was attracted to the seventy one year old white guy being picked on by a government official who had a Hispanic surname. I don't know. I just listened to it. But one thing that your case illustrated something. I've known for a long time, even as a prosecutor, when you arrest somebody, that's a big deal. The ignominy of an arrest, I want to go through life without ever being arrested. I hope you can say the same. Maybe you've been arrested. But you know what I mean? For your client, I listened to him on that Stephen Tubbs interview, and I could tell that it shook him up to be handcuffed. And I don't blame him. He's a law-abiding guy. Absolutely. He is a law abiding guy. And, you know, it's not just about his race, but that he was actually there volunteering. Right. He would go there early, two days a week and teach people to play pickleball, help the staff set up, went up and asked the staff for a marker. He was directed by Denver Parks to draw a diagram. So the fact that he then is thinking he's volunteering, he's doing a good thing and he goes home and he's banned and excluded from all parks and rec centers. And then a detective calls him. He's never been in any trouble at all. And uh, the next thing is there's an arrest warrant, no bond hold, and he's arrested. And so um, there is that outrage about these facts. Uh, And uh, that's why it went international. And, um, you know, uh, there's no way any prosecutor could have prosecuted that case. There was I've seen the surveillance video. It's out on the Internet. And he is helping, so there's no criminal intent to damage whatsoever. Um, right, I, but, uh, ben, here's the old prosecutor in me. Um, I don't think you need intent for criminal mischief, do you? Just knowingly? Well, you're, knowingly. you're aware yeah, of Yeah, you have to knowingly cause damage. No, you're aware that you're uh, putting the substance on the floor at the time you're, you're doing it, as opposed to uh, somebody spilling it. Okay, um, you and me, let's do a mock trial. Although, although um, I, you may have jury nullification, and I think it's a big no, misunderstanding. Criminal mischief but, is knowingly caused damage, knowingly right. caused damage. But I thought but, part you know. of your defense was, hey, you're way overestimating the damage. We can clean this up much more easily and definitely don't arrest the guy. And I'm totally on your side on that, but you can't have people, you know, marking up the floors. Hey, I get it. I get it. You can push back on me. But in Colorado, criminal mischief occurs where where a person knowingly damages the real or personal property. The Denver Parks and Rec staff members grabbed a black marquee last fall, put X's throughout the gym floor as to where to designate where these yellow pickleball goes. He goes and is supposed to draw the staff a diagram, and he goes upstairs, asks for the black sharp marquee that was probably used to put those X's on, and he refreshed because they had been fading, refreshed that for where the markers went so there is no way right. and Beth McCann wasn't no. yep yep there's no way you he didn't knowingly damage and then yeah I had you know All but right. I know we talked I, I a give lot up. about I, I give in and I am going to try pickleball when I get a little older anyway okay. but here's yeah, the thing else? let's go back to Jerry Judy because the bottom line is our jails should be 
filled with bad guys, and we should only lock somebody up when it's really necessary. And the mayor of Pickleball did not need to be locked up. In fact, it always amazed me that in Denver, there's policy of uh, arresting everybody charged with felony. And in what used to be more conservative, Jefferson County, they'd handle lower-level felonies with a summons and complaint. Didn't you always think that was interesting? Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, the summons and complaint is is what is important, you know. And and the Jerry Judy situation, I do want to say, because it's just, I'm just reading headlines. And it is, I did think immediately, I don't see that happening to a famous white player. But I don't want to minimize, you know, domestic violence or if there was, from what I've read so far, if there was like a dangerous situation where they needed to arrest and prevent, you know, a domestic, real domestic violence or, you know, because I don't want to minimize domestic violence. Yeah, you better all. not. On the or memory the of danger. your mother, your mother working for yes, the city attorney's a, office. Absolutely. And I so am those old, things, yeah. I'm old enough to remember before they had these mandatory arrests for domestic violence. And the argument is that any crime between intimate partners has a domestic violence designation and therefore mandatory arrest so some judge can say, stay away until we say otherwise. That's why a person has to be held overnight, and I'm not sure anything can be done about it unless we change the law, and maybe we should. What do you think? You know, um, no, I, 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 uh, domestic violence, as we all know, is is incredibly dangerous and it can escalate. And you know, law enforcement uh, are are you know also victims in it, as we know from domestic violence that it, they get have a lot of injuries or, or get shot. Uh, so domestic violence is very serious, and, and in no way am I minimizing that. Um, it's just later that it came out that it was just locking up papers. But I don't have the arrest warrant. Right. I don't know all the facts. And if it was, she was afraid and it could escalate, then you're right. The, the law enforcement probably not only had to do uh, what they did, but should have done what they did if, if, if it was a domestic violence situation of that nature. Right. And there again, it's a woman who took a baby to full term. God bless her. It's her decision. Apparently, there's a a one-month-old newborn involved. Gosh, to be young and unmarried and be in that kind of tense situation, and then a fateful decision is made to call 911, and then it's on. And when the police arrive, it's probably not going to be good. Somebody's probably going to go to jail. Now the woman wants to retract the charges. The prosecutor is going to be left with not much of a case, Jerry Judy's reputation is damaged. Some people will say, oh, another black man in trouble. It's a, it's a big deal to be arrested, even for something minor like that. And, and that's one of the lessons of the Mayor of Pickleball case. Hey, come on. Do you really need to arrest? Because it's a really big decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with the Mayor of Pickleball, obviously, there was... You know, there's no domestic violence. There's no violence. There's no uh, preemptive uh, need uh, to incarcerate or, 
do a, a oh, protective but order. It, did he damage a basketball court? Because basketball is my favorite sport. And if he did, then maybe I have a different opinion. I don't think he damaged it. I went there. I have video. Everyone was playing basketball just fine. Okay. And all the basketball players that I talked to said, oh, yeah, there's been small X's. And no, that has not interfered with our basketball. In fact, uh, they kind of like the publicity of the Central Park Gymnasium. Now they can say that's where they play basketball. I've had a lot of famous athletes on my show, Spencer Haywood, Bill Walton, the list goes on, but I've never had a female professional football player. So I want to end this with a few sports questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite sport? My favorite sport now is pickleball. Uh, but of course, I loved, grew up, you know, soccer was my number one. What's uh, your favorite sport to watch? Uh, my favorite sport to watch might still be pickleball. You know, it's on TV, but I love the Broncos. I love watching Who the Broncos. Who is your favorite all-time football player? My favorite all-time football player is Haven Moses. When number was 25. The- and the Eminem connection, and if you can believe it, on my birthday about six years ago, uh, went to a golf course, and um, we had three of us, and who walks up and is going to play with us? I didn't recognize him, and he said his name was Haven. And I was like, as in the Eminem connection? And we got to play golf all day, and he is an amazing guy, really good guy. He's my all-time favorite Bronco. I was in the stands when he caught that pass on the sidelines. I think he turned away from Nehemiah Wilson, ran in, and the quarterback was the other half of the M&M connection. And it could just be that you like guys named Craig, Craig Morton. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, But Craig wasn't my favorite. It's Haven. Haven I understand. I got you. Now, do you even like basketball enough to have a favorite basketball player? Chauncey? Sure. Oh, yes. And I met, uh, was on a flight with Chauncey. And uh, he was such a good guy. We were kind of sitting across the aisle. And then I go, hey, Patriot, angels are way better than Patriots. And he turned and looked at me and gave me the biggest smile. Uh, Obviously, Patriots for your alma mater, George Washington and mine, Denver East. And we had a a very brief but uh, great conversation. And he Everything I read, he appears to be a great guy. So he would definitely be up there. And and you got to like magic back in the day. I definitely do. Definitely do. And since you're going to Forest Hills, I'm going to recommend a book because I recommend it to everybody, including my podcast audience. I finished Dan Grunfeld writing about For the Grace of the Game and his dad and the family. The Grunfeld family had quite a Holocaust survival story, but they ended up in Queens, near Forest Hills, where you're going to be, I'm going to send you that book. And it's it's just a great book about sports, but it's about basketball. Let's go to another of your sports, golf. Who's your favorite golfer? Who's my favorite golfer? Of course, Tiger. Um, Tiger has definitely had his difficulties, but who didn't want Tiger to come back and win the Masters? Um I did. Can uh, I just so, make an observation that 
I don't know anybody really who's slept with porn stars. I just don't live in that world. But I do know Tiger did, and he retained his popularity. And I know Donald Trump did, and he retained his popularity. Just an observation from a guy who almost named my second son Tiger Kobe because I like Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant so much at the time. And I thought, what could ever go wrong with either of those guys about 20 years ago? Anyway. Hey, you know, and then so with the porn star thing, then I'm going to, you know, have to say my favorite golfer is in the park, you know, woman golfer. I don't think she slept with a porn star. Okay, Andy Park. What about tennis player? Who's your favorite? Tennis player? Ah, Serena, of course. And Serena was just on the Ellen show, and Ellen, who plays pickleball apparently, asked her about pickleball, and she was like, of course I love pickleball. Of course I play pickleball. Versus Martina Navratilova just issued a statement, stay off our tennis courts. So, of course, it's Serena. I wish she could... uh, get one more Grand Slam and uh, tie Margaret Court's uh, record. I'd like I to did, see her out I would have bet five bucks she would have said Martina Navratilova. You know, no, it's Serena. I love Martina Serena. Martina lives in Colorado, doesn't she? She did. She did live in Aspen, and I have met her. And, of course, back in the day, of course, um, she was my favorite at the time, um, you know, along with Chris Everett. Right, who's battling some health issues. Thank God she's not with Greg Norman, who's trying to ruin golf. But that's another tangent. I've taken so much of your time, and this is, I think you tell me, the definitive Holland Hoskins interview to date. Hey, it is. And I really appreciate you taking the time, Craig. Um, It's been an honor being on your show. Love your work, uh, and keep uh, keep up doing it. I love what you do. You've had so much success. We didn't talk about uh, the children you freed out of prison. They were locked up too long. The innocent people that you've saved. But I want everybody to remember that not only did you get a great result for the mayor of Pickleball, you made him internationally famous. And can I suggest how you did it? You came up with Mayor of Pickleball. I don't know if you came up with that, but you certainly accentuated that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just accentuated it. And of course, you have to, uh, you gotta gotta spread the message. And then then you summed it up as the Pickleball Shakedown. I tried to do the the same thing with the first impeachment, calling it the Ukrainian Shakedown. But uh, (laughs) that shakedown gets people's attention. And you were right. You're a great lawyer. You're a great role model. I remain jealous as hell. Keep going strong. And I think I'm going to go to that rally, 10 a.m. Saturday morning at the Capitol. That's my understanding. And that's where I'm going to be. All right. I'm with you. Thanks, Holland. Thanks for all, all right. you do. Thanks so much, Craig. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Bye. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked 
to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Troubadour, I let you go to New Orleans. You come back. You're a different person. Well, how's that, Craig? Our pregame discussion, uh, the smile that's on your face, the sense of fulfillment. I think it's musical fulfillment. I don't know what else you do in New Orleans, but you come back different. Yeah, like an aura about about me. I wouldn't be surprised. No, it was. I, it's a great place to recharge. And especially if you're into music, there's a there, there was a lot of inspirational music, many different kinds. You made it sound better to me now because I didn't realize you rent a bicycle and you ride five miles to Jazz Fest from the French Quarter. That's about right. Mm-hmm. And it's all flat riding. That's flat riding, fun. perfect riding. Yes, it's a great place to ride a bike. And your bike did not get stolen. That's a plus. No, you have to take it in at night. You don't want to leave it out. Um, but they give you a lock and, um, that bike, I call it my wings because it, it, it enables me to go many places in the French quarter and outside. And I don't have to get into a car for the whole time I'm there. Okay. Tell us about Jazz Fest, proselytized. I already had Holland Hoskins on and she was proselytizing for pickleball. First of all, before you get started proselytizing for New Orleans, well, you play pickleball with me. I'll try. I mean, um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt you if I. Beat well, maybe you. we'll be doubles partners. All right, that sounds good. Okay. I've never played pickleball. I haven't but, either. But I can, you know, I can run a little bit still. Let's give it a go. <laughs> All right, now proselytize for Jazz Fest. Why are you so enamored of this? You know, I think about Jazz Fest. There's three wonderful components. First being the the welcoming attitude of the people there. And, you know, they call it the big easy. And people are, people are kind. They want, to, uh, they want to interact. They want to, to uh, talk to people, find out where they're from. So anyway, it's fun that way. You can talk to any stranger and, um, and feel welcome. Then there's the food, which you can find in restaurants throughout the quarter and also at the Jazz Fest itself, which is like a, 
a large fairgrounds. It's a big outside event. Um, and then, of course, yeah, there's the we, music. Yeah, but we have food in Colorado before you get to three. No. I mean, just we, to say food. We have I, sustenance in Colorado. It, it, the food is down there. Okay. We'll go back to that. Give us number three. Number three is the music, and it's everywhere. I mean, it's it's coming out of the bars on Bourbon Street. It's in little little uh little clubs that you that you hear something coming up from the basement as you know as you walk by and then of course jazz fest jazz fest is a a festival that has about oh 10 or 12 stages some large ones some smaller ones and uh each stage is devoted to a different genre of music like there's a blues tent a gospel tent a jazz tent. do they bleed into each other oh yeah they do, but you know you have to. So, in fact, at the the last, I heard Nora Jones in the jazz tent, uh, and this was the last uh, the last show of, of of the whole jazz fest. And there was trombone shorty nearby, who's who's a renowned uh, trombonist and band leader there. And he's uh, he has a rev, you know his band is is pretty rowdy. Uh, we could hear that band when she was doing her soft music. It, it was a bit of a problem. Normally, it's not. Wow, who else did you see? I saw Stevie Nicks. I saw Elvis Costello. These are the name people. I saw Buddy Guy. Um, and then, uh, you know, some of the best time. Oh, and Ziggy Marley was one of my favorites. I'm a big Marley fan. And also, uh, you know, some of the great, some of the highlights are, are bands that you just kind of stumble into. They might be from Mali, you know, West Africa. There's this one area called Congo Square, and they invite people from all over the world. I mean, you'll see like there'll be Haitian drummers or, or like I said, you know, African groups. Um, there, Ziggy Marley was there doing a tribute to Bob Marley, but uh, uh, some of the Neville brothers were there. There was a tribute to Dr. John, who unfortunately passed away in the last year or two. And I think maybe that was COVID. Now, what about this guy's short trumpet? His name's Trombone Shorty. Trombone Shorty. Yeah, he uh, he's a young man, and uh, he just he he hit the scene. I don't know. It's probably been ten years when he was still a teenager. Just a brilliant guy and a great band leader. Super energetic, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Bruno Mars, his band. You know the way they move sure. the horn players, and they're he all is pretty short too. He is short, but but uh, not and, as short and, as Trombone Shorty. No, Trombone Shorty. I don't know which one's shorter, but he is a just a boatload of talent and uh, enthusiasm. Is he short though? Because maybe it's sarcastic. I'm maybe not sure. He's a tall guy. No, I don't think he's a tall guy. I'm not. I'm not sure why they call him trombone. He, he, I think he's on the short side. You know what I noticed about your great song this week, your way too. What's that? It's got horns in it. It does. Yep. Yep. And I love horns. Did you know that about me? No. Chicago, one of my favorite groups. I've seen him at Jazz Fest. How come you put horns in this song? It makes it great. Why don't you do it every song? Well, you know, I'm, I'd like to use horns more. It always comes down to, you know, when do I call a, co a project complete? Um, but these these two guys who played horns, they're they're uh, they're great players up in Boulder, and and they're um, I'm friendly with them. They're they're in another band called uh, Funk Enough. And uh, I asked them to play on that song. The reason I brought I brought them in on that song is because I had that lick in my head, and I I kept hearing horns. I when you hear something and it doesn't let you go, you got to try to get it on the on the you know on the song. Now are those trumpets? There's a trumpet and a saxophone. Okay, but no trombone. No trombone yet. Not yet. This could be this next project could be the one. I love this song off your Rockin' and a Wailin' album. 
And the words are always what gets me. And your confessions, because I know every song really is about you. You confess to being way too stubborn. And I've noticed that that about you. <laughs> well, I've noticed that about you. <laughs> and, and you know why you're willing to uh, open up your mind here in this song? And why is that? Because you're pursuing a woman. Yes. Yes. It's, it's what you will do for love, right? That's right. I'll That's consider right. what you have to say. Right. Because because I love her and I want her to to have uh, I want I want her to to meet her potential and to feel as if she's being listened to. That's a good thing. Tug of war. I like it. Now I talked with Holland Hoskins about it when I told you, "Hey, I've got a strong woman on my show." And you said your way too. And I also said she may talk about being gay, which she did. And that's another your way too, right? That is another your way too. You got to look at things from everybody's point of view. And you talk about a tug of war. And I've always thought that's an interesting concept. It's the most simple game, yet there's war in it. Mm-hmm. Have you mm-hmm. thought about that? It is. It's a it's a give and take. It's a pull and push. I guess. Uh, but it's I, a war. I I can't even remember putting tug. Actually, it's surprising me that you're saying that. I don't remember where that is in the, in the lyrics. But um, now but you I, say it's a tug of war toward the end, and I'm okay. thinking you talk about tug of wars get over pretty fast. But Roe v. Wade, that's a tug of war yes. that's been going on for 50 years, and it's reignited. What do you think is going to happen? It'll be a tug of war, I think, as long as people are people. I, I just, it's not something I can ever see being resolved. Are you passionate about it? You know, uh, my own, my own uh, opinion on that. I, I lean towards uh, a, woman, a woman having her right to, to, to choose. You know, it's her body and everything like right. that. I, I don't dismiss it as a non-issue because I understand anti-abortionists. Uh, I don't think they're. Um, I don't think that, that these people are, are, are evil or insane. I think that they believe life starts at a certain time and that the um, removal of, of, of a fetus from a womb is, is akin to a murder. You know, that's not my feeling, but I can understand how it would be someone's. It's not something to be taken lightly. That's for darn sure. But I, I weigh in on a woman's right. Um, anyway, I don't know what more to, I can say uh, on you that. Your wife and your two daughters, I think, would support you on that. And it really is a woman's decision. It's not a man, but it will affect us because if a woman doesn't have an abortion, then the man uh, has a child. His life's changed forever. And it is a battle out there. We're part of it. We talk about it. And I do it with my troubadour, who always has the perfect song, as he does this week. It's titled... Your way too. Thanks, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see you, Craig. Shabbat Shalom. your way to 
is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on, this, on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. 
Hey, maybe you know my voice and me from the first half of my career when I was Denver prosecutor. Or maybe you know me from my time on the radio and now on my podcast. But my real job for several decades now has been to fight in the civil arena for victims of crimes. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. If your life has been damaged through the misconduct of others, there's a great new Colorado law, and it's for you. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Let's expose the truth. Let's get you some justice. Let me be your voice for a confidential consultation. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, I told you this was a great show. Holland Hoskins, thanks so much. Troubadour, you came through again with your terrific song, Your Way To. Abortion, such a tough debate. I've resolved it in my mind, but a lot of people have not. It's going to get ugly before it gets better. Let's hope it gets better soon. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.